You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Loving Father, what a privilege it is once again to come before the throne of grace. And Father, we come boldly because we have such a high priest as our Jesus. And Lord, we are so thankful that we can be covered by his blood, that we can live by the liveliness of the Spirit who dwells within us. And Lord, as we're gathered here to be fed and to be taught, to be challenged, to be strengthened, to be encouraged once more, Father, we plead that you would just be with us. We know that this is your camp meeting. It's your idea that we would come in such a convocation to honor and glorify you, to be filled that we might go out and fill others. And so, Father, I pray for our brother, Dave Fiedler, who will be sharing with us. Ask that you would just fill him with your spirit, that the words that he shares would not be his own, but that they would come from on high. May our minds be attentive, take away every distraction that we might be fed from your hand. We ask these blessings and these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm more of a teacher than I am a preacher. So, um, you know, if you're expecting a great sermon, um, Doug Batcher's coming, and, <laughs> and, and there are other, other qualified individuals, okay? Um, <clears throat> that, that's not what you'll probably get from me. But uh, perhaps the, uh, the trade-off is that you know, within reason, I don't mind interruptions. So if you have a question, you know, wave a hand and, uh, you know, I, I should repeat, remind me to repeat the question if there's a question that comes up, you know, um, so that the uh, video audience can understand what's going on. But, yeah, I'm just happy to be back. I, I describe myself as a recovering educator. <coughs> and uh, it's fun when I have the chance to, to get out and do something like this. Okay, well... <laughs> Um, I have five sessions, and uh, they will build one on another. And so um, we're beginning with, with this topic, the core of the war. I, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of a cause and effect logical sort of a guy. And uh, that has its strengths and weaknesses, I'm sure. But we're in a great controversy. And it unnerves me when I find people that don't even know what the controversy is over. You know, what are we fighting about? What, what's, what's the core of this whole operation? You know, what, here we are. Conflicts have roots. Trying to end a conflict and ignore its roots is doomed to failure. And that's true of the great controversy. God has given us a role in this conflict. And, and as in light of that, I can't escape the conviction that it's a good idea to understand what's actually going on. Um, God calls for far more tact, more wise generalship than has yet been given him by his human agents. There is need of sharp, sanctified thinking and keen work to counteract the ingenious plans of Satan. Sometimes we operate with the idea that we are more or less simply along for the ride. And that's not true. We are called to an army. 
The Lord will not write as wise those who cannot distinguish between a tree that bears thornberries and a tree that bears olives. I don't know what kind of thornberries she had in mind when she wrote that, and I don't know much about olives. They don't grow in B.C. or anywhere else I've lived. (laughs) But there are issues, and it it takes a little thought. It takes some digging to find the boundary lines of issues. You know, um, I guess, you know, thornberries and olives, that may be above my pay scale. So at the risk of dumbing the whole thing down, you know, can we at least tell the difference between an orange and an apple? <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I'm at with this. You know, let's, let's, let's try to think categorically you will find that there are many steps in the great controversy that are categorical distinctions. So just wanted to plant that idea. And so now we're going to get started. We're going to start where every good story starts, and that's the beginning. Now, if I, speaking biblically, said in the beginning, you would probably have a thought that would come to mind, and it would likely be this one. But that's actually the third beginning. Uh, If you thought a little bit more, you would probably think of another one, and that's the first beginning. We're actually looking for the one in the middle. Jesus said, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, for he is a liar and the father of it. This is speaking of Lucifer, not at his creation, but at the inception of sin. Not at the beginning of the creation of earth, it was prior to that. There's an interesting time frame, and I, the Lord has given us no indication as to how long a time it was. Ellen White says it was a long time. Well, on this time scale of heaven, what would that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, are we looking at the equivalent of a year? Or a century. I don't know. But Lucifer was a liar from the beginning and a murderer from the beginning. At the inception of the principle of sin, he was a liar and a murderer. Now, it's interesting. There was war in heaven and nobody died. (laughs) They fought a whole war without a single casualty. That's different. It's a different kind of a war. So, well, let's just go on. Let's jump to a, a, a passage that you're no doubt familiar with. I don't think I'll read it all, right? The mystery of lawlessness. This is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Satan, signs and wonders and deceiving and all that sort of stuff. And down about a little more than halfway down. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I am not a a Greek scholar um, by any means. (laughs) But those who are tell me that actually this is is, uh, the new King James. If you're used to the original King James, which is great too, you'll note there's maybe a little different wording, right? Anybody remember how the King James puts that? Right there. What's the King James say? 
It says Eli. Now, one of the things I used to teach was English. A and V are both articles, right? Remember those? We've only got three in English, A, and, and the, or the, whichever way you want to pronounce it. A and an are the same. It just depends on whether the next word starts with a vowel, basically. Okay? But the difference is this. If I look out the window and I say, oh, there goes a car. I say, well, yeah, there's a road out there. Cars go past. That was a car. There went a car. So what? But if I say, there goes the car, it's the definite article. And nine times out of ten, it means that you're going to know which car I'm talking about, somehow out of the context. You know, that's the car that, oh, I don't know, the bank robbers ran away in, or that hit the little puppy down the road, or the car that you were supposed to catch a ride with that you missed. You know, somehow you know which car I'm talking about when I say the car. There is a lie, a very, very fundamental lie that is at the heart of the great controversy. What is it? <laughs> what is it? That's where we're headed. We are familiar with this passage as well from Isaiah. <clears throat> this is Lucifer, depicted here at the time of his rebellion. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And we have a way of looking at that. And I want to kind of invert that almost a little bit. Maybe both ways, both perspectives are accurate. But at least one of the ways is that when Lucifer said, I will be like the Most High, what he's saying is, I will exalt myself. That's what God does. God exalted himself. And, and really, how hard would it be to entertain that notion? Every time everybody got together in heaven for worship, they worshiped God. Remember, Lucifer was the choir director. I don't know. What do they have? 15 million hymns? I don't know how many, how many songs there are in their hymn book. They're all about God. Why would they all be about God? There's some other pretty neat people around here too, or neat angels, or neat something around here. Why is it always about God? And, and, and could it be that God is selfish in a universe where he owns everything? Okay, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I hope you understand that. <laughs> Lucifer promulgated the idea that God's first interest was himself. And the angels had never heard the idea, had never entertained the idea. It was a new idea. Ellen White put it this way. Satan boldly contended that in struggling to carry out his purposes and have his own way, he was only imitating the example of God. If God followed his own will perfectly and continually, why should not the first sons created in his image do so? Why can't we just do what we want? God does. 
I just want to be like God. Is there anything wrong with being godlike? Lucifer could twist and turn and say things, and you know, you've encountered people like that perhaps. Just a cautionary note, <clears throat> in anything of our discussion here, especially in this, this particular meeting, we need to remember one thing. <clears throat> it is impossible to explain the origin of sin so as to give a reason for its existence. Sin is an intruder for whose presence no reason can be given. It is mysterious, unaccountable. To excuse it is to defend it. Could excuse for it be found or cause be shown for its existence, it would cease to be sin. So please, in anything that is said from here on out, bear in mind that I am not endeavoring to give any reason for the existence of sin. What I am doing is trying to be a good general and understand the development of my enemy. We don't have a reason, there is no reason that can be given for the origin of sin. But once the, the thought of selfishness was entertained, the trajectory that it followed in the courts of heaven is, is, is really quite easy to trace and very logical in, in its development. <clears throat> now at this point, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe you've heard it somewhere along the line, you know, somebody says, is, is this an elective course? <laughs> Can I get out of this one? <laughs> you know? um, I'll let you decide. The evils which have existed in all ages will continue to exist till the close of probation. We need to understand the cause of these evils and the modes of Satan's attacks that we may be able to resist them. There is nothing we should dread so much as being ignorant of Satan's devices. Those who do not realize their danger because they do not watch will pay, with the loss of their souls, the penalty of their presumption and their willful ignorance of Satan's devices. Well, is it an elective course? Yes, it is. Because God leaves us free to choose. But God does not leave us free to ignore the results of cause and effect. So I suggest signing up for the course. <laughs> and yet, and yet, before anybody gives up in despair, we have this counsel as well. We need not feel compelled to work out the solution of every problem that we cannot understand in order to meet Satan's wiles. Nor am I to keep my mind reined up to thwart Satan's devices. Why? Because God is supreme. He is our stronghold in time of trouble and perplexity. If we put our entire trust in him, we shall find that he is an all-sufficient guide. There's this incredible tension between working as if it depends on us and trusting as if it all depends on God. You know, and, and I'm not here to prescribe how that's going to work out in your life. I have a hard enough time figuring it out for my life. I just know that both sides are true. Hopefully that makes sense. So <clears throat> in the great controversy, a question that I think deserves a little consideration is why would Satan hate us? I mean... 
for, for starters, or we weren't even around at the beginning of the whole thing, why would he hate us? And I phrase the question that way because I hope it's a, it's, it's a given in everyone's mind that he does hate you. <laughs> we, are, um, we are at grave risk when we think that maybe with a little charm offensive we can learn to get along with him. The greatest talents and the highest gifts that could be bestowed on a created being were given to Lucifer, the covering cherub. Before his fall, he was a glorious being occupying a position next to Christ. Okay? I'm just going to throw out a, a variety of, uh, you know, kind of raw material pieces of information, and then we'll kind of bring it all together in a couple of slides down. Lucifer was a covering cherub, distinguished by his excellence. God made him good and beautiful, as near as possible, like himself. Now, I have to use this occasion to introduce a concept that may be a little, eh, may great just a little bit. So here's my question. Could God have made any other being that was more like himself than Lucifer? Could God do that, according to this statement? Look at the statement, yeah, yeah. Could God make another being who is more like himself than Lucifer? Now that grates, because if you're like me, you grew up from, you know, was it, cradle roll, you know, God can do anything. I'm here to tell you there are a lot of things God cannot do, and we will be looking at those. And so I use this occasion to introduce that thought. According to this statement, and it's an inspired statement, so far be it for me to argue with it. God created Lucifer as near as possible, like himself. But notice, God made him good and beautiful. And in the first statement up there, the greatest talents, the highest gifts that could be bestowed were given to Lucifer. Just keep that thought in mind, and let's go on. <clears throat> Lucifer chose to sin. When God said to his son, let us make man in our image, Satan was jealous of Jesus. He wished to be consulted concerning the formation of man. And because he was not, he was filled with envy, jealousy, and hatred. Now, <clears throat> in the spirit of prophecy, what we would call the, the standard books, so to speak, you know, the, the long available standard published works. There have been hints for, you know, ever since they were written of, of some sort of an interesting relationship going on between the fall of Lucifer and the creation of earth. And we could piece together basically the, the time frame, you know, Lucifer's rebellion occurred in heaven prior to, but only shortly prior to the creation of earth. And there are statements like this that kind of link them together, right? There's something about the creation of earth, and I would say human beings, that played a role, had a, some functional part in Lucifer's rebellion. Uh, what, six years ago now, when the, the last letters and manuscripts released came out from the White Estate? 
there were a few little gems that had been overlooked. We ran into some of those. Satan hates mankind because they are the workmanship of God. He opposed the creation of man. Opposed. Now, you know, I may be misreading it, but to me that wording says this is before it was done. If it was after creation, I, you know, you would expect it to be he objected to or he complained about or some other past tense type of thing. But, but here he, he opposed. It makes In my mind it says Lucifer's saying, God, don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Why? More background information. I'm going to put this together in a second here. Next to the angelic beings, the human family formed in the image of God are the noblest of his created works. Oh, and just backing up here, I wanted to make one more point here. Satan hates mankind because they are the workmanship of God. Everything was the workmanship of God. <laughs> you know, Frank, really? You're going to complain about that now? And incidentally, um, I see this good brother here trying to take a photo of that. That's all well and good. Send me an email. I will happily share all my slides with you if you prefer that approach. Um, but anyhow, okay. Everything was a workmanship of God, right? Okay, next to the angelic beings. Next to, as in below. Angels, human beings, right? That's what we see in... Well, this statement, the earth was to be peopled by beings only a little lower than the angels. That's just like Psalm 8, right? Hebrews 2, man was created a little lower than the angels, right? But then we have this statement. No other creature that God has made is capable of such improvement, such refinement, such nobility as man. Man cannot conceive what he may be and what he may become. Through the grace of Christ, he is capable of constant mental progress. Now, just make a little contrast. Notice the words, improvement, become, progress. And now think back to the comments about Lucifer. Bestowed, given, made. It was a wonderful thing for God to create man, to make Mind. I'll, I'll just frankly say I have no idea what that means. <laughs> that's, that is so far beyond me. I just, I just, okay. All I can say is, well, that's really impressive. I hope to have some vague understanding of it eventually. It was a wonderful thing for God to create man to make mind. God created man that every faculty might be the faculty of the divine mind. I don't understand that. Just telling you. I don't understand it, but it makes an impression on my mind nonetheless. Man was the crowning act of the creation of God, made in the image of God, and designed to be a counterpart of God. Man is very dear to God because he was formed in his own image. A counterpart. Interesting choice of words. Now, uh, I currently live in Canada, and up there we have a gentleman by the name of Justin Trudeau, who is the Prime Minister. And if uh, <clears throat> Mr. Trudeau were to venture south sometime and have a meeting with Mr. Biden, 
we could say that they are counterparts. They are both the you know, executive head of their respective countries. That does not necessarily make them equals. It does make them counterparts. But what did Ellen White mean? I, I don't know. Some of these things are beyond me. Just, just, just sharing them. I hope you enjoy the fun. That's God. God would place man upon probation to test his loyalty before he could be rendered eternally secure. If he endured the test wherewith God saw fit to prove him, he should eventually be equal with the angels. Eventually, after a period of time, equal with the angels. Those who in the strength of Christ overcome the great enemy of God and man will occupy a position in the heavenly courts above angels who have never fallen. What happened to a little lower then? The work of redemption involved consequences of which it is difficult for man to have any conception. There was to be imparted an excellency of power which would place him higher than the angels who had not fallen. Now these last two statements, this one and the, the one before they're both talking about the end result of the plan of salvation. And that brings up a kind of a disturbing question. Do human beings end up better off because of sin? It, it kind of grates a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it just doesn't seem right to see anything good coming out of sin. But this is talking about at the end of, you know, the great controversy. So I think it's a fair question to ask. Unfortunately, we have the answer. I like it when I have questions that have answers. But before we go to that answer, we have to see one more thing here. <laughs> God was a light so effulgent. Ooh, now that's a 25-cent word right there. How many of you just, like, really recognize effulgency? <laughs> you know, she did pretty well for a third-grade education. <clears throat> um, you can look it up. If you want to, it means really, really bright. <laughs> okay? God was a light so effulgent that Lucifer occupied the position of covering cherub so that the universe could at all times look upon his glory, capital H, covering cherub, so that the universe could look at the glory of God. Here's another one. He who was once the covering cherub, whose work it was to hide from the heavenly intelligences the glory of God, perverted his intellect, and divorced himself from God. That's Lucifer's job, is to hide from the universe the glory of God. He was the covering cherub. Now, tack in this thought. Adam and Eve were granted communion with their maker with no obscuring veil between. Is that a reason for Lucifer to sin? No. There are no reasons for Lucifer to sin. But once he had embraced the spirit of selfishness, would that be an irritation? I think probably so. Even if Lucifer, you know, if God came up to Lucifer and said, Lucifer, you've been the covering cherub, you've been the highest of all created beings, just for a change, I'm going to make you down as a buck private. <laughs> However that works up there. I don't really know their command structure, but you know, I'm going to demote you. Lucifer's response should have been, praise the Lord. 
Everything he's ever done in the past has been a blessing to me. This will, this will give me an opportunity to see an entirely different side of, of the divine working of the government of heaven. Praise the Lord. That's what the response should have been. But once he had embraced the spirit of selfishness, I surmise that Adam and Eve, even on the planning table, were a threat, or a perceived as a threat. <clears throat> but still, here's my question. Does that come through sin? Do we end up higher because of sin? And the answer is, fortunately, no. Through the imparted life of Christ, man has been given opportunity to win back again the lost gift of, gift of life and to stand in his original position before God, a partaker of the divine nature. Nothing new. Original position. Another one. Satan, in his efforts to deceive and tempt our race, had thought to frustrate the divine plan of man's creation. But Christ now asked that this plan be carried into effect as if man had never fallen. He asks for his people not only pardon and justification full and complete, but a share in his glory and a seat upon his throne. That share in the glory and seat on the throne of God was a part of the original plan. Lucifer had a thing about thrones, but he was never offered that, that option. Human beings, as she said, have no idea what God intends for them. Lucifer did. I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Lucifer wasn't in on the planning sessions. What did he know? When did he know it? All those kind of questions. be fun to know. But one of those gems that came out in that last big release from the Ellen White estate is this one. I about dropped my teeth and I don't have dentures. The creation of our world was brought into the councils of heaven. There, the covering cherub prepared his request that he should be made prince to govern the world then in prospect. We would say then in planning. This was not accorded him. Jesus Christ was to rule the earthly kingdom. Under God, he engaged to take the world with all its probabilities, including, I believe, the probability of sin. The law of heaven should be the standard law for this new world, for human intelligence. Lucifer was jealous of Christ, and this jealousy worked into rebellion, and he carried with him a large number of the holy angels. Lucifer wanted to be king, prince of this earth. He said, don't make them, but if you do, at least put me in charge of them. And God said, no, 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 no we're not going to do it that way. I want to spend some time right now on, on a very, very dirt-simple concept that I believe is of earth-shaking and universe-shaking importance. What is at the core of the rebellion? We've, we've just gone through this whole thing. Lucifer somehow decided to become selfish, found great offense, I believe, in the plan to create someone that would eventually progress. You know, we talk about a, a glass ceiling, right? You've heard the expression glass Do angels have a glass ceiling? Maybe so. Maybe they don't have, you know. But, but, by, but man was given the opportunity of, of what did it say, uh, continual progress or something. I forget the exact wording. But what... What was at the heart? This is not the reason for sin. There is no reason for sin. But we can logically deduce some simple concepts. 
Once upon a time, there had to be a first time when God turned to Lucifer and said, please do this. And for the very first time, Lucifer thought, that's better. God wants me to do this, but that's better. I don't know when it was. I don't know what it was over. Wouldn't it be crazy if it was something of absolutely no significance? I mean, maybe Lucifer wanted to start a service with a particular hymn, and God says, no, let's use this one. And Lucifer says, no, my, my hymn's better than your hymn. <laughs> I don't, I mean, wouldn't that be so ironic if, if, if it started over nothing? But there was a first time. I mean, no one will deny that now God says, please do this, and Lucifer says, no, that's better. But there had, he didn't always do that, so there was a first time. I know nothing about it but what I can logically deduce. If you don't like my logic, feel free to reject my conclusions. But I think it's obvious. In order to get to this point, one of two things, or possibly both, had to have already happened in Lucifer's mind. Either Lucifer believed God had made a mistake. That could be. You know, God said, Lucifer, please do this. And Lucifer goes, I don't believe it. It's amazing. It's, it's incredible. It's, it's unbelievable. God's been really, really smart, but he, he just goofed this time. He wants me to do this, but that's obviously better. How could he make a mistake like that? Maybe that's the way it was. I don't know. If he didn't think God had made a, effectively an intellectual mistake, there's one other option. He could believe that God had deliberately commanded something that was not in Lucifer's best interest. God wants me to do this. And he knows that that's better. In other words, Lucifer had lost faith in God. Mark the word, faith. Theologically, it will become important later on. <laughs> you know, righteousness is by faith. Justification is by faith. Salvation is by faith. Faith is our victory. Anything that's not of faith is sin. Faith is kind of a big deal theologically. And right here, Lucifer had lost faith in God. Even if God had just made a simple mistake, that, that was a serious concern. After all, God was in charge of running the universe. He can't be making mistakes. You're going to have a sun go supernova when it's not supposed to. Or something else. I don't know. Who could trust God's wisdom if it had been proven faulty? And if God hadn't made a mistake, then it meant that he was intentionally harming his subjects. Who could trust his love if it had been proven false? So Lucifer had lost faith in God's wisdom, at least, and probably, and certainly very quickly, God's love as well. And you'll note that love and wisdom are two of the three great eternal attributes of God. The third one is power. In heaven, Lucifer never argued against God's power. Remember the other angels that came to him and says, you don't, 
You can't rebel against God. He can cast you to the ground as easily, or what was it? He can, I forget the exact wording, but he can cast you down as easily as he can drop a pebble to the ground. Lucifer said, it's okay. That's not what I'm arguing about. We're not talking fisticuffs here. We're not talking nuclear bombs and cruise missiles. We're not talking arm wrestling. We're not talking any about that. We're talking about something else. It's a different kind of a war. I've got to hurry. Faith is a very simple matter. I love this quote. Faith is a very simple matter. It is confidence in God. That's all it is. <laughs> that's just, that's all it is. That's all you need. You know, they're saying, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Really, that's all you need. You sing that with conviction all your life, you're going to be fine. What is it to be in an unsaved condition? Is it not to be living without that full confidence in God, which is born of love, which leads us to take him at his word? That's the difference right there. If you have confidence in God, you are safe. If you lose that confidence in God that takes him at his word, you are in an unsaved condition. Bing, bam, right there, that's it. <laughs> okay, we could just ring the curtain down. But there's a few more details we can discuss. Losing faith is not all that happens. If Lucifer was smart enough to spot God's mistake, that meant Lucifer was smarter than God, right? He made a mistake, but I caught it. If God had tried to trick Lucifer into doing something that wasn't for his best good, then the mere fact that God had failed to fool him meant that Lucifer was smarter than God. Ah, yeah. Now who's the smart one on the block? I caught you. This is what pride is made of. Now it would be easy for Lucifer to simply do what he was sure was the best thing. After all, he was the smartest one around. And doing that instead of this, that's what we normally say, well, that's disobedience. But it starts before with the loss of faith. You see that relationship? Hopefully that's understandable. But that's not all. We're on a, the slipperiest of all possible slopes here. Even if Lucifer never said a word about his disobedience, the influence of his actions told all the other angels, you can't depend on God to take care of you. You need to take charge of your own life. You need to do what God does. You need to exalt yourself. And that's a lie. That is, in fact, the kind of the flip side of the lie. The lie is God cares more about himself than he cares about you. Lucifer just said, you need to care more about yourself than you care about God. But that's not all. Once Lucifer took the responsibility of caring for himself, it meant he had to do whatever it took to provide for himself. If necessary, that would mean stealing. If necessary, that would mean murder. Like Jesus said, Lucifer was a murderer from the beginning. The moment you embrace the principle of selfish concern. You are a murderer. All that's lacking are the circumstances that would call that out of you. From the very beginning, Lucifer was a liar and a murderer. I think that's incredibly important. I don't know. To me, that's just become kind of like a foundation of, of everything that I think I understand about the Great Controversy. Right there is that, that, that process 
the moment I lose faith in God's love, power, and wisdom, and his devotion to care for me, the moment I lose that, boom, that's where I go. Okay. Uh, I did write a book called Tactics, and I'm not going to try and reproduce it here. (laughs) But uh, I'll I'll give you one slide, and um, you know, I could give you half a dozen to you know three dozen Ellen White statements supporting each one of these points, but we're not going to do that right now. I just just put them up on the slide here. What did Lucifer actually do in heaven? Well, he exploited his position. He was a high angel, right? So the highest angel. So he exploited that. He worked off of their trust for as long as possible. He would hide his intentions from others. He would imply or insinuate without clear assertions, right? He just kind of mumbled comments, but didn't, you know, didn't say anything you could pin him down on. He would distort others' perceptions. Ellen White takes that up to and including the, the act of hypnosis in distorting their minds. Maintain plausible deniability. Um, everybody understand the concept of plausible deniability? If I'm the, oh, just you know, picking a, a position at random, if I were the President of the United States and I wanted something done that was technically illegal, it would be unseemly for me to do something that was illegal, and it wouldn't be good for me to be commanding someone to do something is illegal. So what I would need to do if I really wanted the illegal thing done, and I'm not implying anything, this is not a political speech here, but you know, uh, if, if I wanted some un, uh, illegal thing done, what I would need to do is somehow kind of quietly behind the scenes get the message down to somebody who could understand without having been told, and they would get somebody to do something, and then when it hits the news that somebody had done something illegal, I would say, oh, I've never met him in my life. I don't know where that came from. I had nothing to do with that. That's plausible deniability. Lucifer was a master at that. He would shift his responsibility to others. It was their fault, not mine. He would lie. (laughs) Uh, He would abandon discredited positions without accepting responsibility for having advocated them. He would cite evidence, excuse me, cite supporters as evidence of correctness. They all agree with me. I must be right. And he would appeal to sympathy. Now, if you read that list and you don't think of politics as it's practiced in the world today, you are extremely naive. (laughs) I'm just telling you, the great controversy is politics. (laughs) It's just bare-knuckle politics on a level that we can't quite yet attain to here in our human sphere. There is in this, in, in, in Lucifer's rebellion, as Ellen White describes Lucifer's rebellion, there is one aspect that she describes more times than any other, and so I simply reproduce that here for you just as a, as a warning. She thought it was important. Satan began to stir up rebellion using underhand methods, winning a few at a time to his side. There followed that which had never before been seen in heaven. Satan began to place his thoughts in the mind of the angels. When he supposed that his suggestions and misrepresentations of God were entertained, he presented those whom he had deceived as originating these suggestions. He presented the suggestions as something that must be investigated. He easily gathered large numbers to listen to his specious devisings, and thus, without compromising himself, he succeeded in causing the minds of many to become disaffected. The unsuspecting were ensnared and taken. I don't know. I have a lot of mixed emotions when it comes to the fallen angels. Wow. 
I'm sure God is just. But it's a really interesting thing. Lucifer was really pulling a number on these guys. The thing that Ellen White mentions more often than not, or more, more times than any other, is that Lucifer would plant a seed in someone's thought, and he'd kind of circle around, come back later, he'd engineer the conversation and bring them right up to the point where he had planted that doubt, and he'd say, well, what do you think? And without ever realizing where it came from, they would repeat the doubt that he had planted. And this happened. Words have power to react on the character. Men are influenced by their own words, often under a momentary impulse prompted by Satan. They give utterance to jealousy or evil surmising, expressing that which they do not really believe. But the expression reacts on the thoughts. They are deceived by their own words and come to believe that true which was spoken at Satan's instigation. It is dangerous to utter a word of doubt. Dangerous to question and criticize divine light. There's something apparently hardwired in the mind of both men and angels that when you hear it come out of your own mouth, you think you believe it. This is the one reason Ellen White decried debating societies. Because, okay, this side debates pro and this side debates con. And somebody's going to have to be debating, they're defending something that hopefully they don't believe. <laughs> That's the most common thing that she brings up more, more times. So I just put that up there. Let's go on. Many of these angels who sympathized with Lucifer had occupied high positions in the government of God. All were enriched with the talent of intellect and were girded with strength and glory. High positions. Like Korodathan and Abiram, right? They went after the princes of Israel. Lucifer was jealous of Christ, and this jealousy worked into rebellion. He carried with him a large number of the holy angels. Jesus, the Son of God, was not deceived by Lucifer's sophistry. He stood true to principle and resisted every line of reasoning of Lucifer and all the angels who had taken the sides with him, thus evidencing that as he stood, every angel might have stood. Jesus did it, proving that every angel could have. That's interesting. Jesus also kept the law in human nature, proving that human beings can. There's something going on that we don't have the full picture of. But I'm, I'm suspicious. I suspect that Jesus essentially manifested himself as an angel. I, I don't have an absolute nail-it-down, prove-it-by-the-inspired statement for that. But why else would there have to be this meeting, right? The great creator assembled the heavenly host that he might, in the presence of all the angels, confer special honor upon his son. The son was seated on the throne with the father, and the heavenly throng of holy angels were gathered around them. The father then made known that it was ordained by himself that Christ, his son, should be equal with himself, so that wherever was the presence of his son, it was as his own presence. The word of the son was to be obeyed as readily as the word of the father, especially was his son to work in union with himself in the anticipated creation of the earth. Why did an announcement like that have to be made? And I suspect it was because the role that Jesus played maybe has always been showing lesser beings how to live loyal to God. I don't know. We are up against some mysteries here that I don't have the answer. You know, I keep reading. I keep, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of those little letters and things that I haven't read yet. And I keep hoping I'm going to stumble onto the answer to all these questions. But let's go on. 
a, a brief digression here. Christ is declared in the scriptures to be the Son of God. From all eternity, he has sustained this relation to Jehovah. So this meeting, this announcement here, was no change in his relationship. He was always, from all eternity, the Son of God. But there had to be a, an explanation, perhaps. Maybe that's a good way to say it. There had to be a, a revelation, perhaps. I don't, I don't know. <clears throat> but you remember back a couple of slides that said that Satan would bring these things up and he'd say, well, this is, a, this is a fascinating topic and it needs to be investigated. No, it didn't need to be investigated. Notice this. I say and have ever said that I will not engage in controversy with anyone in regard to the nature and personality of God. Let those who try to describe God know that on such a subject, silence is eloquence. Let the scriptures be read in simple faith and let each one form his conceptions of God from his inspired word. I like that. It's fascinating. It's like, you know what? My conception of God may be a little different than yours. But just read the scriptures in simple faith and you'll be okay. I have a feeling that the conceptions of God are so broad and so vast that none of us can encompass all of them anyhow. And if you see a different aspect than I see, why would I have to fight you over that? <laughs> there is some, I would say, unwise investigation being foisted off on God's church today over certain issues surrounding the Godhead. I believe them to be devious, and very ill-advised. Just my opinion. But I digress. Let's go on. Satan exultingly pointed to his sympathizers, comprising nearly one half of all the angels, and exclaimed, These are with me! Will you expel these also and make such a void in heaven? And he, I believe, he expected the answer to be, Oh, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot of angels. I guess. Well, uh, okay, so I guess we're going to have to think this through. And the answer was, yes. <laughs> yes, I will expel all these. Because right is right and wrong is wrong. Apples are apples and oranges are oranges. And if you can't make a distinction between one or the other, God help you. When it was announced that with all his sympathizers he must be expelled from the abodes of bliss, Satan and his host threw the blame of their rebellion wholly upon Christ, declaring that if they had not been reproved, they would never have rebelled. Hold it. Don't play stupid word games with me. <laughs> you were reproved because you rebelled. And yet that works with people. It works with angels. Ah. <sighs> Lucifer cast the cause of his defection upon Jesus Christ and upon God. If they had not so firmly resisted his plans, he said he would not have gone doing as he did. But that's just stupid. And to be perfectly honest, I think Ellen White is making it so simple that we can't miss it. I, I don't think Satan probably said it quite that blatantly. He, I mean, he's a slick guy, okay? He probably made it a lot more convoluted, but... <clears throat> You know, 
I'm sorry, our IQs at best put us at a serious handicap. <laughs> and so I think Ellen White probably really, really, really simplified this down so we wouldn't get the wrong idea somehow. Okay. <clears throat> uh, going to wrap up here quickly. It is impossible for man to measure the ingenuity shown by Satan in deceiving human minds or in deceiving angelic minds, I would suggest. I cannot explain this next quotation. It's, again, totally beyond me. But if you ever think that you want to go up against Lucifer on your own, just, just remember this one. Lucifer's work of deception was done in so great secrecy that the angels in less exalted positions supposed that he was the ruler of heaven. You know, if you're going to wait for me to explain that one, you're going to be camping for a long time. I don't know how that works, okay? But I'm telling you, he's a slick guy. The originator of sin worked with all his deceptive powers, and the Lord permitted his rebellion to develop before anything was done to save the angelic host from apostasy. I'll just be honest. First time I read that, I was offended. My little 1960s, 1970s, you know, social justice mindset said, God, you can't do that. You can't just sit back and watch him do that. But read that sentence. The Lord permitted this rebellion to develop before anything was done to save the angelic host from apostasy. That bothered me. I assumed it was because I didn't understand it and couldn't explain it. But I'll just be honest. I mean, that, that was offensive. If that had been written about a human being... I would feel justly offended. So I was in this awkward position of feeling offended about God doing something that seemed to be blatantly wrong and yet knowing that somehow it probably wasn't that way after all because God actually is a lot smarter than that. We will approach that and deal with that tomorrow. I want to close with one more slide because you can't have... Now, now okay, so... One thing, the core of the war was when Lucifer said, God is selfish, so I can be selfish. Is that simple? Are you with me on that? God exalts himself, I will exalt myself. God follows his own will perfectly and fully, I will just follow my will perfectly and fully. I just want to be like God. If it's good for him, it's good for me. That's the, that's the very core of it, how that happened, I can't tell you, we never will. But once that position was taken, the rest of it is just like, Duh, obvious. Along comes the plan to create human beings that would in one day surpass Lucifer. He wasn't going to settle for that. How can you be happy with that when you're selfish? That's never going to fly. And so, boom, we have the great controversy. We have the whole situation going on. Along the way, however, Lucifer had to make a case. He had to have some accusation against the government of heaven. It's like having... A political campaign where both, par both parties agree on the same platform. How much fun is that? <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, I agree with him. Yeah, I agree with him. You know, it's like, who, who am I going to vote for? You know, that's, that's, nobody does that. Loser wasn't going to do that. He had to come up with some accusations. I spent a full year trying to figure out the accusations. I put together this monster huge search you know, through the Ellen White uh, writings. I came up with 147-some thousand 
paragraphs that had something about the idea of accuse or complain or fault finding or and the, and with the law or the government or something of heaven or lose, you know, had all those terms together and it took me a year to go reading through them. And I, I, li- I when I started, I would have said, man, there's going to be dozens of accusations. I'm thankful there aren't. It's really not that hard. There are nine. You might, you know, you could maybe split it out, because the wording is not always exactly the same, of course. You, know. you could maybe, you know, slice and dice it a little bit differently and maybe come up with eight or ten. But I came up with nine. Here they are. In order, this is the, this is the order that they came up in, in heaven as nearly as I can tell from Ellen White's account. Angels are holy by nature and wise enough to govern themselves so they don't need God's law. We're, we got this. Thanks. We're fine. That was, that was the first one. God was unfair when he exalted Jesus above Lucifer. It's interesting to me that right at, as soon as this idea is gaining currency, that's when that meeting was called, right? And Jesus was clearly identified as the Son of God. Lucifer said, that ain't fair. I mean, I'm a, I'm a covering cherub. I, I really think, and I can't prove this, but I really think that, that Jesus probably functioned as a covering cherub too. And Lucifer was saying, well, you know, if there's going to be a promotion, you know, he's got some good points, I got some good points, I think overall I should get the job. It's just not fair to pick him over me. I mean, after all, we're, we're both covering cherubs. I mean, come on. God is selfish. God is unforgiving and revengeful. God's law is defective and needs to be changed. Now we're getting down to a, like a new level of substance on here. He says, God, your law is defective. It's not good. You need to, you need to fix it. It needs to be changed. Now, of course, God was responding to these accusations as they, as they played out, right? He was basically saying, no, <laughs> no. No, <laughs> it's not true, okay? God's law is defective and needs to be changed, and God's response, of course, was, no, it's not, and it does not need to be changed. Neither angels, and of course, later on, he would add human beings, can obey God's law. Nobody can keep God's law. And God said, yes, they can. Everyone can keep the law. Lucifer came to number seven here. I should back up one little bit. On number five, it's interesting. Every single time when Ellen White deals with this, when Lucifer brings the accusation and says, God, your law needs to be changed, she has God responding in a particular manner. She never has God saying, Lucifer, no, I won't change the law. God never says that in her writing. God always says, Lucifer, the law is perfect and cannot be changed. Are there things God cannot do from his own mouth? He cannot change that law. Lucifer said, of course you can. That's what number seven is about. God's law is arbitrary. That basically means because he said so. That's what an arbitrary law is. It does not arise from the intrinsic nature of reality or anything else. It's because someone decided. Now, almost every law that you can think of is arbitrary. Do you need to have a, a, a dog license where you live? Well, that's 
some city hall guy made that idea up, you know. Do you get, uh, is your tax rate 17.2% or, you know, 35%? Well, Congress did that, you know. Uh, what's the speed limit where you, where you drive? Yeah, I don't know. Somebody made up their mind. You know, and they changed those things, right? Some of you are old enough to remember the speed limit was dropped to 55 on the highways for a while. That was a fun experiment. Nobody paid much attention to it, but it was fun. Uh, you know, but, but if, if the law is made because somebody says this is what the law is, it's an arbitrary law, then they can say, yeah, okay, well, this is what the law is now. And so Lucifer says, God, your law is defective. And God says, no, it cannot be changed. He says, of course it can be changed. It's, it is what it is just because you said this. Just say something different. I mean, come on, it's like, make it 70. <laughs> just, all the angels think it would be better. Just say something different. God says, it cannot be changed. And then Lucifer comes back, and he's getting really sharp here. It's like, you know, you, you do the right jab, and then you get him with the left hook, or however that's supposed to work. I'm not really much of a boxer. Um, but Lucifer says, God, your law is arbitrary. You can change it if you want to. And God says, no, I cannot. And so then Lucifer says, in that case, you can't forgive anyone. If you can't change your law, you can never forgive. Got ya. One or the other, but not both. Ha <laughs> ha, got ya. You probably felt pretty smart right then. God, of course, said, no, you misunderstand the situation. You're wrong. And then Lucifer had to cap it all off with one last argument. He says, you know what? God's lying. God's just lying. Everything he said here, this, everything up in these first eight, he's just lying to you. You can't believe that guy. That's the argument in heaven. Put yourself in God's position and say, what should I do now? That's what we'll talk about tomorrow. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for even the privilege of being a part of the big show of the entire universe. The things that unfallen worlds long to understand are playing out in our backyard and in our own minds. Lord, help us to understand. Help us not to be dismissive or ignorant of Satan's devices. Help us to trust that you are indeed an all-sufficient helper and guide. Grant us, in its simplicity, faith. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.